Uh, now let's have uh, God's Word open us up uh, to Romans chapter 1, verse 16, and we'll then skip over to chapter 10, and we'll read verses 11 to 15. Romans 1, 16. This is God's Word. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. Let's skip over now to chapter 10, verses 11 to 15. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Join me in prayer once more. Father in heaven, we ask that you would open our ears and soften our hearts, that we may hear and that we may obey. Remind us, Lord, of the goodness that we have in Jesus Christ. Fall fresh again, Lord, to our hearts and our thirsty souls, how much you love us and care for us. And then, Lord, we ask, send us out. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're at the point in our mission series where we have been talking about what it means to be and make disciples who live out the gospel in word. And for the word portion, we did break it down to three parts. We discussed and we listened and we're doing our best to obey and living out the gospel in word as we speak it to one another, as we sing it to one another. And today we're going to look at more specifically what it means to evangelize. So then we have to ask the question, what is evangelism? Who is an evangelist? Is it me? Is it you? Is it all of us? Well, if we take a brief pause to think about the word evangelist, the etymology, it comes from the biblical Greek, the Koine Greek, and it comes from the word euangelion. And the reason this is important and the reason I bring it up is because this is the Greek word for gospel. And so if we look and think about the four gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, These are considered the four evangelists or the four gospels. So then the word evangelism and the idea of that comes directly from the word and the idea of the gospel. And so interestingly enough, the word evangelism, as we think about it here this morning, as we listen to what it's about and as we try to go out and do it, quote-unquote, I want us to understand that evangelism is actually a unique term specific to the Christian faith. More importantly, specific to the gospel movement. 
There's some implications here then if we understand evangelism and gospel being so close together. It means that if our mission here at Eternal Life Mission Church is to make disciples who live out the gospel in word and deed, then that idea of living out the gospel in word contains within itself the assumption, the call to actually also be evangelists. Right? When we began this series, we, we established how a disciple and a Christian is one and the same. We're talking semantics here. You cannot be a Christian without being a disciple. A disciple is simply someone who follows Jesus, stays with him, and sees all that he does. So if you say you are a Christian who believes in Jesus, then you're also asserting that you are a follower, a disciple of Christ. Moving further now, if you are a disciple who lives out the gospel in word, then also contained in this idea is the understanding and the assumption, the call even, to evangelize. Now this idea and this word of evangelism, I know uh, for us, brings in a lot of different events and ideas and scenarios and uncomfortable experiences. So, So culturally speaking, just real quick... I know that given the culture that many of us share and the culture that many of us grew up in, we think that evangelists are people who have been given an official title. For example, right in the Korean-American Presbyterian Church, if you grew up here, if you grew up at another Korean church, you know the title or the term, Chondosa, Chondosanyu. In fact, the Book of Church Order for the KPC states evangelists as an official position in the church. This is what it says. It says, Upon the recommendation of the session, a ministerial candidate, male or female, may be examined by the presbytery for qualification for such a position as an evangelist, as a chandosa. Upon approval of the presbytery, he or she may render salaried assistance to the minister. That's my favorite part there. I'm just kidding. So some of us, having grown up in a particular context or culture, uh, may believe that evangelists or chandosas are people who are specifically set aside and given this task, and that you and I, the lay people, the normal people, are simply here receiving, to some degree, what the chandosas or the evangelists are doing. But I want to make one thing clear. The fact that in the church there are specific evangelists set aside for the cause, the Bible addresses this topic. The Bible speaks to you and I, all of us, pastor or not, evangelist, chandusa or not, to be people who live out the gospel in word by sharing this. You know, when I first preached this message, I was a chandusa. I wasn't ordained yet. And at that time, the title of the message uh, I thought it was so clever, and, and so and maybe I'll throw it up there. It says, it's U-R-A-J-D-S-N. Uh, J-D-S-N is the acronym for Chandosa. And the whole point of that message previously, and to some degree today, is for us to understand that all of us, that you are a evangelist. I know this is a company line for our prayer ministry leader, I've heard her say a couple times, and I've heard other people say that she says it, and it's absolutely true. We are all called to be evangelists. Now, again, there are many types, and there are many ways in which evangelism takes place. 
If I can categorize it for us, we'll put it into three containers. First, we see evangelism taking place in events. Some of you know Jesus Fest, Hallelujah Night, Fall Fest, events even that pertains to general Sunday worship or Christmas and Easter. Right? These are events and, and, and time and places that are set aside for the Word of God to go forth so that as we invite people, they can hear the good news. The second category, we'll say that there's a, a spontaneous aspect of evangelism. Right? This happens either in the street corner, the coffee shops or supermarket, at parks, or, or at door-to-door. And lastly, the third category, I would say that evangelism takes place also relationally in our families, with our friends, our co-workers, and our community. They all have their place, and they all have to work together. There isn't just one way to do it, and that's the beauty of it. There are so many opportunities and so many avenues and so many people that are involved in this endeavor of faithful evangelism. We'll get back to that later, though. The three points I want to look at today are pretty simple. I'm just going to break down verse 16 in Romans 1, and we're going to look at it in three parts. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, so we are not ashamed to proclaim it. We'll get right into it. The first point, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. There's a story that's floating out there of a man who was very worried about his spiritual state. And in that state, he desperately ran to a minister. And the man said, Sir, can you tell me what I must do to be saved? And the minister said to the man, Young man, you are too late. The man, confused and sad, said, Oh, do you mean I am too late to be saved? The minister said, No, you are too late to do anything. Jesus already did everything that needed to be done. All you have to do is believe. You see, the gospel is not the power of man for salvation. Rather, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The work of faith and salvation is done by God. This means that there is nothing for us, you and I, to do but to believe, to trust, and simply to share what Jesus has already done. We often think that evangelism requires so many steps. And sometimes those steps are practical and they're very helpful. But the essence, at the core, evangelism is simply sharing what has already been done by Jesus so that our sins are forgiven and we find salvation in him. Look at Ephesians 2 with me. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Again, the powerful work of the gospel is always done by God through the weakness of man. Now, I know many of us are sitting here and saying, yeah, duh, this is a very obvious point. But the reason I'm harping on this is because oftentimes, for some odd reason, when it comes to evangelism... We think it's up to us. Under the expression of this is hard, I don't know how to do it, what should I do? At the core, oftentimes, is an assumption that it is up to us, that it is our power, that it is our eloquence, our experience, our knowledge. So we falsely believe that we 
most of us are not qualified to evangelize. We falsely assume that we're not learned enough, have lived enough, or are holy enough. And this, if we make evangelism about me, about us, then it is paralyzing. Because, again, the gospel is not the power of man for salvation, but the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The task, the call to evangelize does not depend on your doing. Primarily speaking, it depends on God and his power and his plan. And so we need to have a paradigm shift. It's so subtle. It's so subtle, but we need this paradigm shift to happen when we think about evangelism, if we think about living out the gospel in word. Because the the, the biggest stumbling block is this small little grain that tells us evangelism is about you, what you know, your experience, and how holy you are. And those things do matter, but at the core of it, evangelism is about what God is doing, his power and his plan working through you. The same goes for preaching. The pastors may be learned men, some experience and exemplify some holiness, not. But it doesn't mean that we are qualified or effectual in saving souls. I would be a fool to think that just because I come up here and open my mouth, that I use dynamics, that I use alliteration, anonymatopias, and then I pace back and forth, that souls could be one for Christ. I'd be a fool if I thought my giftings were somehow enough to save you and give you salvation. And every preacher has to come to this sobering reality no matter how gifted you may be, no matter how lacking you may feel, our call, our task is to simply be a messenger of God, to preach Christ crucified and know nothing else. Giftedness helps. Some proper usage of language helps. But the preacher has never saved a single soul. It has always been the power of God through weak and foolish men. And unfortunately, you guys are paying two of them to be your pastors here. (laughs) It's not about us. It's not about you. The gospel is the power of God. The power of God. It's his power. It's his plan. Do you believe that? Do you believe it right now, as you're sitting under the preaching of God's word, that the Holy Spirit is working right now in the midst of all of us here, that God's word is going forth. The Spirit is applying it to you guys uniquely and specifically according to your life experiences, according to your fears, your hopes, and the people that you have on your mind and your heart. That somehow in this general message of Jesus being crucified, buried, and then raised again on the third day, the Spirit is now applying this to your lives and giving you ideas at all creativity It's convicting you, giving you guilt so that you can turn to him for forgiveness, giving you excitement and joy and hope once more and knowing that you can share this message. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit works when the word of God goes forth? I want to turn our attention quickly to Isaiah 55, 11. 
And this is a verse I have to remind myself often, like many other preachers, Sunday to Sunday as we prepare and preach. And sometimes it feels like, am I making a difference? And the Lord has to remind us, well, first, it's not about you. And two, my words, my message always does what it intends. Look at Isaiah 55, 11 here. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The word of the Lord, as we preach it, as we speak it, as we sing it, as we evangelize, will never return empty or void. It will always accomplish that which God has purposed. The word of God here, we're told, will always succeed in the very thing for which it was sent. Now, obviously, just because you tell Joe Schmo on the streets, hey, Jesus loves you, he has died for you, he cherishes you, would you believe in him? Well, sometimes salvation comes instantly, but often many of us right now are probably thinking about our loved ones, our friends who we've been thinking and praying for a lot. It takes time. For us, as we count, it could have been years. But the assurance that we have is when God's word goes forth, it always succeeds in accomplishing what he has set it out to do. And so perhaps it's a word that continues to dwell in them and little by little grows, starting as a mustard seed. So friends, be encouraged. 2 Corinthians 12, I want to give us two examples here of the Apostle Paul and his weakness. This is Apostle Paul here. Right before this part, he tells us that there is a thorn in his side. There's something that is bothering him. It is hurting him. It is making him weak. And he cries out to the Lord three times, Lord, take this thorn from my side. Paul says here, verse 9, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Are you weak? Have you experienced insults, hardships, persecution, calamities because of your faith? Then funny enough, the Lord would have it that you are ready to be used in his powerful hand. One more example, 1 Corinthians 2. This is again Paul. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. He didn't come to them with, with, with the art and the color and the vibrancy and the drama of rhetoric at that time. He came humbly, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, the message of the gospel. I came to you knowing none of that, no lights, no smoke, no glitter, simply the message that Jesus was crucified for you. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit 
and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Paul is saying, I want to be sure that when you believe that it wasn't just some tactfulness, it wasn't just some powerful emotional speech that moved you into belief, but Paul is saying, I didn't come to you with all of that. I came simply bearing the message because I know the message is enough. That God loves you. That he sent his one and only son to die on the cross so that all who believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I came to you with a simple, beautiful message. So that you would know it wasn't the great apostle Paul. It wasn't the great order. It wasn't the great preacher man. The great missionary the great hero, but that it was just another foolish man who recognized the preciousness and the value of the gospel of Jesus to demonstrate the spirit and the power so that you would know that it's not by the wisdom of man, but the power of God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. So if I can sum it up, the first point, evangelism is not about you. It's about God. But he can use you. Second point, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. For who? To everyone who believes. D.L. Moody gives this illustration as he recounts a conversation with a Dr. Andrew Bonner. And Moody tells this story. He tells it like this, D.L. Moody. says, Mr. Andrews shared that in the highlands of Scotland, sheep would often wander off into the rocks and get into places that they couldn't get out of. The grass on these mountains is very sweet, and the sheep like it. And they would jump down 10 or 12 feet, and then they can't jump back again. And the shepherd hears them crying in distress. These sheep, they may be there for days until they have eaten all the grass. Then the shepherd will wait until the sheep is so faint it cannot stand. And then he, the shepherd, put a rope around the sheep. And, we, and he will go over and pull that sheep out of the jaws of death. So Moody asks Dr. Bonner, why doesn't the shepherd go to the sheep immediately? Dr. Bonner says, ah, the sheep, they are so foolish. They would dash right off the mountain and be killed if they did. And Moody realizes and he concludes, and that is the way with men. They won't go to God till they have no friends and have lost everything. Until they are desperate. If you are a wanderer, I tell you that the good shepherd will bring you back the moment you have given up trying to save yourself and are willing to let him save you his own way. End of quote. This is true, isn't it? That it's not the strong and powerful that realize their need for Jesus, but the broken and the humble. The ones who are willing to say, yeah, I can't save myself. And I'm not just talking spiritually. The people who have gained wealth and power, whatever have you, come, coming to the realize that all these material things have no spiritual gain. 
that none of this could give us any hope or security for what is to come after death. See, the second point builds on the first, simply to say that we cannot save ourselves. Therefore, if anyone should come to Jesus, they must be willing to give up, or rather give in to Jesus' love and the work he has done for them. So then to address the question, who is the gospel message for? Well, the Bible says it's for everyone who believes. See, there isn't a specific group of people, race, or culture. There isn't a specific type of person that God wants to save with a particular personality. Rather, the people of God are gathered from the harvest of many who are wonderfully unique and who are desperate to be saved. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us something very important about how we have been created. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. This means that every single human being, as image bearers of God, has a sense of eternity in their hearts. And although none of us can fully fathom and understand all that God has done, all that he is doing, and all that he will do, deep down inside, every man and every woman knows that there is eternity, that there is something after this. This means that when we evangelize, when we speak the word, we can do it with the assumption that every person has a longing to draw near to God, to know him. That every being has a sense of eternity, has a sense of God. This is why we are all worshipers of something. This is why we're all worshipers of something. Because of this sense of eternity in us, we have this inclination to look outward and to grasp at something. Granted, sometimes it's as crass and simple as sports and food and sex and money. Sometimes it's deep and spiritual like love meaning, purpose. Every human being, there's not a single person on the face of this world that was born that doesn't have this longing, this desire, this, 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 this questioning of what happens when I die. Is this it? Why? Because at the core, they know eternity exists. They know at their core, God exists. John Calvin, the theologian, helps us to see this. He says that religion and spirituality is a part of every people group all around the world, all throughout history. No civilization, no advanced people group, even here, right now at this time, 2022, has ever found themselves in a place where they weren't reaching out for God where they didn't care about eternity. No technological advancements, no amount of pleasures, no amount of distractions can keep the image bearer of God longing for eternity and longing for their creator. And so in the Institutes, John Calvin writes this, Indeed, 
Even idolatry is ample proof of this conception. Since then, people prefer to worship wood and stone rather than to be thought of having no God. Isn't this true? Rather than believing there is no higher power or no God, we would rather, the people would rather worship stone and wood, no matter what shape or value it might take. Precious metals, go forth, go forth, right? The fact that we are such idolaters, the fact that we can find something and, and import so much value into it and, and find it so precious and hold on to it for some kind of hope of the future is evidence enough that all people all throughout time, all around the world, have a longing to grasp, to draw near, to know God in eternity. The good news is we're all looking for God. Unfortunately, many times it's in all the wrong places. And I can be one of the first to confess that that's me too. I want to give you an example here of the Apostle Paul once more in Acts 17. I'll read it for you. You can follow along. A little case study of our boy Paul evangelizing. Look at what he does. So Paul, standing in the midst of Aeropagus in Athens here, he says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. He's assuming now. He can assume because... When God has made everything beautiful and he created every man and woman, he put eternity in their heart, there's a sense of religion, there's a sense of spirituality, there's a sense and longing for eternity in God. Paul opens up, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. People here are worshiping the statue to the unknown God. They're not sure who it is. They're not sure who they're worshiping. They're not sure who they're praising. But they know that there is some God, some deity. And in their spiritual longing, they know that they have to worship something. And so they have the statue and they just inscribe to some unknown God. And Paul says, hey, men of Athens, I perceive in every way you are very religious. As I was passing along, I saw objects of your worship. And on them is inscribed to the unknown God. Let me continue. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Paul saying, you are worshiping this unknown God, but now I'm going to proclaim to you the true God, so you may know who to worship. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Here we go. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives, he gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man, every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Paul is saying, friends, men... Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ear. He's saying, men, women, friends, are we not very religious? Do we not worship objects? He says, know this. If you are looking for God, you can find him in Christ who loves you, who gave himself up for you. 
And you can feel your way towards him. Why? Because he's actually not far from each one of us. He's actually working in our midst right now. He works when we speak, when we sing, when we evangelize. Remember, the word of God never returns void. This is Paul evangelizing here. So the writer of Ecclesiastes, the Apostle Paul, John Calvin, they're all saying the same thing. We were made to worship. And we will worship just about anything until we see God, until someone tells us about God, until someone evangelizes and tells us the euangelion, the gospel. When I was just a young warthog in seminary, I asked my apologetics professor. I said, hey, okay, I'm not that smart. I don't know too much about culture and economics and world religion and philosophies. How am I ever to have confidence as a future pastor to preach, to evangelize to people? And he said something to the effect of, when the truth of our God rings in the hearts of those who have eternity in it, it will ring back. And, and, and what he's trying to say is that truth recognizes truth. You know the saying, real recognize real. When we speak truth about the message of Jesus, because we can assume there's eternity in the hearts of all men and women, because they are longing, that truth will ring in them. I hope there's some ringing going on today. You know, yesterday at morning prayer, we looked at Psalm 42 when we prayed through it. And in verse 7, it says, deep calls out to deep. And I think, in part, that's what it's getting at. When the truth of God rings in the hearts of men, when deep calls out to deep. Friends, the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. The last point, so we are not ashamed to proclaim it. We are not ashamed. As Paul is writing to the Romans this text, he begins by saying, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why does he need to state this? You see, even though Paul was weak and foolish in so many ways, he was not ashamed. Why? Because as we have established, it wasn't about his power to save others. It wasn't about his eloquence. It wasn't about his credentials. It wasn't about his holiness. It wasn't about him at all. Rather, in proclaiming the gospel, he knew that the power of God for salvation lies in the gospel for everyone who believes. So he says, I'm not ashamed. Right? If I can double back real quick, when we think about evangelism, oftentimes, why do we feel that sense of shame? Unfortunately, because we think it's about us. We think it's about what we can do, what we should do, how we should do it. And again, those things are important. We need practical teachings and guidance. There are ways to do it. There are ways to do it with wisdom and tactfulness, all of that. But at the core of it, if we only focus on how am I supposed to do it, what am I supposed to say, how should I do it, who am I supposed to do it to, then unfortunately... We become ashamed. But Paul says, I am not ashamed. Because foundationally, evangelism is not about him, his giftings, his lack thereof, but it's about God. I am not ashamed. So friends, disciples here, Christians, 
as we strive to live out the gospel, there's no need for us to be ashamed about this message. There's no need to be bashful or timid. Because we don't have to go with words of eloquence, powerful drama. We simply have to share this message. No one is asking you to go out into the world and save souls by your own strength. The word of God, however, is saying simply to go out and evangelize. Let me conclude with this, Romans 10, 11 through 15. Evangelism assumes that we speak and sing the gospel of Jesus as we've established. Romans 10, 11 through 12. And I want you guys to think about how this verse parallels with Romans 1, 16. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Paul says, I am not ashamed. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Again, apologies. I'm going to leave that part out. We don't have time to get there. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But then Paul presses us here, doesn't he? How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. And then he says again here in Romans 10, doesn't he? That everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. That, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he leaves off with this imagery. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I don't have time to give all the texts, but I think it's sufficient to say that feet in the Bible were not really considered beautiful. They were unclean. They were dirty. They were ugly. People had to constantly wash them, pour perfume on them. When they entered the holy ground, they had to take off their sandals. Feet were smelly, ugly, and shouldn't be presented in any way, in public or in private. All that to say, it seems here that God redeems even the unclean, dirty, and ugliest member of our bodies to bring his good news. And if he can use feet, the unclean and unworthy and undesirable member of our body, how much more so can he use each and every member of this body here at Eternal Life Mission Church. I want you to look at your feet right now. Go ahead, take your shoes and socks off, stick them up in the air. I'm just kidding. Woo! Because beautiful are the feet who bring the message. Beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so, as we conclude... Yes, evangelism has to be spoken. Living it out for others to see is important, but the message of the gospel has to be spoken so that people can hear, so that people can believe, so, that they're stop, so they stop worshiping to the unknown God. But more importantly, for us to speak, friends, we have to go. We have to be sent. And I can say with a clear conscience that the Lord is sending us 
I can say with excitement that when you hear the benediction today after the message, he is equipping you and he is sending you to preach, to evangelize, to take the euangelion, the gospel of Jesus, and to share it. To share it in these three categories, if you want to look at it, at events. We worship here every Sunday. We have community groups. We have fall fests. We have a lot of things going on. Invite those whom you're trying to reach out to. You're not alone in evangelism. We can all work together. And don't be afraid when the opportunity comes for spontaneous evangelism. You might meet someone in front of a grocery store who's hungry. You might meet someone who says, thank you, God bless you. I guess if you sneeze, they would say that. I was more thinking of when you, when you do something good for someone, I realized they always say something to the effect that you've done your good deed for the day. And, and there's this, there's usually an, 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 an a assumed karma. But I realized in those moments, like, I didn't do it for that. I did it so that you would know Jesus loves you. And lastly, do it relationally. I know that many of us have shared even in our morning prayer, very intimately and vulnerably, people you are praying for fathers and mothers and siblings, friends, co-workers, people in the community. Live relationally in such a way that you can evangelize. You know, I got, I, got, uh, I got dads in my neighborhood. They're always trying to hang. They're always trying to go to buffets, watch games. Sometimes I'm just tired. I, I don't want to hang out with them. But sometimes I think, man, maybe this is an opportunity for me to live life with them. And when the opportunity comes to share the gospel, I just got to be careful I don't, I don't get as wild as all of them. But friends, don't forget your feet. They have to go. And remember, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Join me in prayer.